set the tone for meditation this week, Psalm 27, 1 through 4, and Philippians 3.10. Hard-hitting indeed. Today we're going to do the final and the tenth part of the doctrine of justification, Romans doctrine. So this series will be wrapped today. Doctrine of justification, part 10, glorification. And you can turn, if you want, to Isaiah 45. If we don't get there, we'll do some cross-pollination. That is, in a fusion with our other series, Doing and Living Theology. In fact, I may I'm doing a lot of work on this Isaiah 45 thing, so I may do what I've been calling cross-pollination and hit it also in our Doing and Living Theology series, which is developing moment by moment, quite literally moment by moment, developing on Wednesday nights. Now, seems I have a announcement here. Please announce my birthday, Emery P. Now, I can't, Emery, I don't do that anymore. I, especially communicators of the word, we don't allow self-glorying here. So, yeah, okay. So, Lena, please tell, tell him I couldn't do it today. And I know he can't drive 55 anymore, so. Now, speaking of servants of God and communicators, you know my brother in grace, our brother in grace, Pastor Phil Henry. I want you to keep him in prayer. And ladies, special prayer for him today, too. This weekend, he will be speaking for a half hour at a conference at the Church of Relentless Love, Peter Hyatt's church. And he'll be sharing the pulpit there with many other speakers so he's one of the heavy hitters in our vision the vision without which God's people are perishing a vision of a universal saving horizon he'll be with people like the author of the shack Paul Young and Peter Hyatt the pastor of the church of relentless love and others and we know that Phil's going to represent us well and so keep him in prayer we've already begun to pray for him and Uh, for the audience to be receptive to his message. And I know he's going to have a wonderful time of fellowship with like-minded believers who see this vision, this universal horizon as we do, and maybe in different ways than we do. So we have, it's, uh, I'm very excited about this, Phil. I'm happy for you. We're going to pray. So, Father, we pray for Phil as he goes on this mission that you've appointed him for, and you've certainly appointed him for this certain hour. We pray that you'll give him exactly the words that you would have him say, that he would speak and give him a mouth and wisdom, as we know you've already done, and that he will speak the message and proclaim it with confidence and assurance, and that you'll bless his fellowship in the Holy Spirit with others of like-mindedness, thinking of others who hold this universal, all-saving Christ. And may that fellowship be extraordinary and rich indeed. Bless his trip both ways. And we thank you that he represents us. And he goes with the great blessing that comes from you through Tetelestai Church. In Jesus' name, amen. And we'll be continuing to pray. The ladies pray, you're done. It's, it's going to be good. And I'm also aware that when I poke fun at certain people, especially Marines, That there's a saying in the Marines called, payback is a medevac. So I know he's going to, 
He'll hit me back, so. <laughs> so, the doctrine of justification, part 10, this time glorification. This will put a final, well, this is the mountain peak of the doctrine of justification. And Romans 8.30 is the place where we're going to focus in. This will also segue very smoothly into our communion service today. And we want, every time we have a communion service, the Eucharist, we want to experience the true meaning of it and the true affectionate remembrance of our Savior and to see him in his all-saving glory and to expect him in his all-delivering glory. So I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to keep us in tune with the Spirit of grace today. The Christ event, as we call it, is one event with many facets, many aspects. The Christ event is altogether a saving event. In the announcement of the conception and the prediction of the birth of Christ, the angel said, you will give him the name Jesus. The Hebrew is Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins. The Christ event means the incarnation, the duration called the days of his flesh in Hebrews 5, 7, his ministry to Israel in Romans 15, 8, his passion, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, elevation, and glorification. All of these components of the Christ event comprised a saving event in which Jesus would indeed save his people from their sins. His people does not only refer to all the sons and daughters of Abraham, but to all the sons and daughters of Adam, all of whom were dead in sins. In Ephesians 2.5, one event, the Christ event, was actually one saving act of the triune God. Stated simply, Psalm 68.19, another one to meditate on, Psalm 68. God is our salvation. The triune God is our salvation. Our salvation happened in Jesus Christ. The salvation of all human beings was divinely enacted in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crucified is Jesus Christ resurrected, elevated to God the Father's right side, glorified. We were crucified with him in the disfiguring of him. And we are identified with him in the transfiguring of him called glorification. The one who was disfigured is transfigured. Jesus Christ crucified is Jesus Christ justified is Jesus Christ glorified. The one who died Romans 6, 7, Romans 8, 33, died for all. 
And I want, I'm going to say a little something about that in a moment, that word all. The one who died, died for all. And when he died, all died. This may also cross-pollinate into our doing and living theology. Second Corinthians 5.14. When the one who died was justified, therefore... The all who died were justified. For as the scripture says, he was delivered up, literally handed over for our offenses and raised up for our justification in Romans 4.25. So the one who became sin, was made to be sin, was liberated from sin. Romans 6, 7 through 10. The one who died and was justified was glorified. He whom the Father and the Spirit justified, the Father and the Spirit glorified. It's all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, Romans 1.17, who lives by faithfulness, is also the Lord of glory. In 1 Corinthians 2.8. And I want you to make this connection. The righteous one is also the Lord of glory. The righteous one who is justified in his death and resurrection is also the Lord of glory. The scripture says the Lord of glory was crucified by the rulers of this cosmos. Those whom the rulers of the one whom the rulers of this cosmos disfigured, the father transfigured. In fact, even his disfiguring in God's view was his glory. So the crucified is the Lord of glory. The justified is the glorified, is the crucified. And this, I think you might see, is going toward Romans 8.30. As many as he justified, he glorified. On the cross, And this is what we're doing already, our communion service in one sense, because we are remembering his death until he comes. On the cross, the battered, scourged, naked, cursed, and crucified Jesus of Nazareth was the Lord of glory. He was the Lord of glory then. Battered, scourged, naked, cursed, and crucified. Not only that, seen from a very important angle in the divine perspective, he was the Lord in his glory. The cross is his glorious throne. The cross is his glorious throne. That's the throne upon which the Son of Man sat to judge and separate the goats in us 
from the sheep in us. It's the throne from which God says, look, I'm making all things new. And from which he also said, it is done. In Revelation 21, 5 and 6. The father from the cross says it is done as the son speaks in the father and says to Telestai, it is finished. Asa, it has been made. It's been done. Psalm twenty two thirty one. That's the last judgment. He endured the fire from another world which consumed him as the final burnt offering. If you read Leviticus 1, 10 to 14, I wish I could develop it. Maybe will down the road. The burnt offering could be selected either from sheep or goats, either from the herd of sheep or goats. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ identified with sheep and goats in his crucifixion. So there is no goats going to hell and sheep going into the joy of the Lord. Read it in Leviticus 1, 10 to 14. Jesus identified as much with the goats as he became sin, as he did with the sheep in his death. In fact, he fulfilled the type of the goat chosen by Lot for, the, for Yahweh and sacrifice as a sin offering. A goat was selected and appointed for that in Leviticus sixteen nine, fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And the goat, which the lot for the scapegoat fell, the second goat, shall be presented alive before the Lord. Jesus fulfilled that. To make atonement upon it, that goat, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat who made off with the sins of all of Israel. He takes away the sin of all the world when he takes away the sins of all of Israel. Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How does he take them away? As the goat, the scapegoat, takes those sins away into the wilderness where they're never seen again. The Lamb for the sacrifice, the sheep for the sacrifice. So when Jesus said sheep and goats, he identified with both. And he endured the fire which looks like eternal fire, but it's actually fire from another world as he was consumed as the Lamb of God. If only people saw with God's eyes, Matthew 25, 31 to 46, they would stop attributing to God the characteristics of a monster. The doctrine of an eternal hell is a blasphemous abomination and a horrifying misrepresentation of the God who is love and who is goodness in its essence. I didn't intend to say that, but that has to be said quite often. And so the crucified is the glorified. The crucified is the justified. The incarnation, 
the life of meritorious obedience. That means obedience for us. The crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, elevation, exaltation, and transfiguring glorification of Jesus Christ are all part of one event. The saving event. The Christ event. The one who died, God justified by his faithfulness, says Romans 3.26. When one died for all, all died. I know, I'm repeating, but it's well worth repeating. When the one who died was justified, all were justified in God's sight, in him, in Yeshua, Yahweh who saves. Salvation is our God. Our God is salvation. Being in our God is our salvation. Being in Christ is being in God, is being in salvation, is being justified, is being glorified. Now, speaking of all, George Hunsinger, in his book called Disruptive Grace, which I'm plowing through now, he made a very interesting observation, and I want to insert this at this point, about this word all. And this is what he wrote on page 12 of his book called Disruptive Grace. A veritable, or a venerable rather, a venerable rule of scriptural interpretation states that the obscure passages should be interpreted by the clear ones. That's true. The traditional Augustinian understanding, that's the understanding from Augustine onward, of eternal damnation presupposes that Matthew 25 and similar texts comprise those distinctly clear passages relative to which all others must be brought into alignment. But he says one resulting oddity is that biblical literalists following Augustine cannot take passages like 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all human beings to be saved. They say that does not mean literally all. It's funny. Literalists don't say that means literally all. Talk about a self-contradiction. And then he says, but they say only all under some sort of heavy qualification, such as all manner and all classes of human beings. The Christian tradition has always included interpreters, however, who have argued that when the New Testament says all, it means all, regardless of any further hermeneutical difficulties that may cause. So I think the clear passages are ones like 1 Timothy 2.4. God not only desires, but has willed to save all. That's clear. Matthew 25 isn't clear because it's not literal. It's a parable. It has to be interpreted in the light of the clear passages. All means all. And thank God there's a few interpreters of the scriptures saying that. So I just thought I'd do that side note there. No one living will be justified in God's sight, we learn from Psalm 143, 2. 
quoted in Romans 3.20. Christ died for all, and all died when Christ died. And all means all, not all kinds of people. Not heavily qualified certain classes of people. All humans in all times died when Christ died. Christ dying was the culmination of his obedience to God the Father. His whole life was obedience. At age 12, he said, don't you think I should have been about my father's business? If you were looking for me for three days and three nights, Mom, don't you think you would have found me in my father's house? His whole life was a... An obedience that culminated in the death of the cross. He was being obedient to the Father's will that all would be saved. So, his dying was the culmination of his obedience to God the Father. John 5, 17. John 8, 28. When you have lifted me up, then you will know that I have not done my own will, but of his that sent me. Hebrews 10, 5 to 7, a body you have prepared for me, that in it I might do your will. And he also submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit, Luke 4, 1, 4, 14, 4, 19. By his obedience unto death on the cross in Philippians 2, 8, he made the many righteous. He brought the justification of life to all of humanity dead in sin in all of its times with no exceptions. When one died for all, all died. Paul said that in explaining what happened to him. The love of Christ controls me now because I have determined and made a judgment after reflection that if one died for all, then all died. The love of Christ controls me. What's the effect of that? The love of Christ controls me. The one who died for all was justified for all. And in him all were justified. We don't want to argue about does justification happen at your point of your faith or your believing or you're doing this or you're doing that or works or whatever. Your justification happened in the one who was justified. See, it's a matter of waking up to this. It's a matter of waking up to this. As Phil's power message said today, the gospel isn't an invitation. It's a proclamation. It's the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of a mystery that your salvation and the salvation of all happened. When he said, it is finished. When he said, it is done. When he said, behold, I'm making everything new. It is done. You say, I don't see it. That's because you don't see yet as you ought to see. The first time the man says, I see all kinds of people, but they're walking around like trees. The second touch, I see everything. You know what it really says in Mark 8.25? I see everything, including all people, Clearly now, even from a distance. What that man saw was all of humanity and all of its time as the saving objects of God's love. Have you seen that yet? If you have, you've, you've been with the one who sees 
that horizon. I, the Lord, he says, dwell in eternity in a high and lofty place with him also who is of a crushed spirit. The ones who have the crushed spirit, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. They see these things. They have Operation Epsilon, as we've been calling it. The one who died for all was justified for all. He was handed over for our offenses and resurrected for our justification, not only his own justification. As another angelic prophecy predicted in Daniel 9.26, he was cut off, but not for himself, cut off from all living, all life, all that's good, all that's pleasant, cut off, but not for himself, Daniel 9.26. His crucifixion is our crucifixion. Because no one alive could be justified. His death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection from the dead is our resurrection from the dead, and it is our justification. And it's our life. His elevation. To the heavenlies is our elevation. Ephesians 2 6, he has raised you up and seated you together in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. Ephesians 2 6, once again. So you see where I'm going, I think. His elevation is our elevation, and his transfigured glorification which is God's answer to his disfiguring by men, is our transfiguring glorification. Ephesians 2.6, Philippians 3.20-21. The one whom God justified, namely Jesus. 1 Timothy 3.16, Romans 3.26. Romans 6, 7 is the one whom God glorified. But when he was justified, all were justified. As many as God justified, he also glorified. God glorified all in the glorification of his son. When, you ask, when he glorified Jesus, he glorified all. That's why justified, which is the dikaio, dikaio, justified, dikaio in the Greek, and glorified, which is, well, it's doxadzo. I'm going to just do the verbal form. Doxadzo, D-O-X-A-Z-O, doxadzo. The one who justified was also glorified. So, both of these verbs are in the culminative or what we call the effective aorist tense in Romans 8.30. And you can turn there where the doctrine of justification in Romans 
reaches its peak and where we reach the end of our series of justification. We certainly haven't said everything you can say about it, that's for sure. But just to make it a series, we're going to round it off today. All humanity is justified and glorified. All of this is done. All of humanity is justified and glorified in Christ by virtue of being in Christ and no longer in Adam. Our life is hid with Christ in God. It's hid with Christ in God. So you don't see it in its glorified form. Our justification, our glorification is in Jesus Christ. We wait for the glory of God, says Romans 5.2. We expectantly boast in the hope of it. We boast in the hope of it because it's certain. We wait for our glorification that we already have by virtue of being in Christ. We died, you see. And our life is hid with Christ in God. That's Colossians 3.3. 3. When Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory, says Colossians 3.4. When he appears, no more hidden. Our life, which is hidden, is going to be manifested. When Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. 3, 4 of Colossians. That is in the glory that we already have in him. The reason that justification and glorification are one is because the one who was justified is the one who was glorified. The one who was crucified is is the Lord of glory, of glorification. Even his disfiguration on the cross is part of his glorification from God's standpoint. The glory is already ours. It has yet to appear. It will appear when Christ appears in glory and when he comes to transform our bodies, the bodies of our mortal and incorruptible and corruptible state into bodies of glory by the omnipotent power that he exerts in bringing everything into subjection to himself in Philippians 3.20 to 21. That's apocatastasis. The restoration of all things, the bringing of all things into subjection to Christ, that is done by omnipotent power, and by the same omnipotent power, he changes the bodies that we walk around in now that are prone to injury, illness, sickness, aging, and after dying, decay. Glorification is also included then in this immense setting right and making right of all that's gone wrong in the universe including all of humanity who all together and as one man turned away from God, according to Romans 3, 10 to 12. Justification is an indispensable component of the new creation of all things for eternal life. In one, fa- in one way, we could say that the outcome of justification is a new creation. For if any person is in Christ, 
New creation is what they are. So in one way, the outcome of justification is a new creation, the beginning of which is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the beginning of the creation of God or the new creation in his resurrection, Revelation 3.14. This connection is made explicit in Galatians, where the doctrine of justification is also nucleated, as it is in Romans in Galatians 6.15, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything at all but a new creation. And what he means is the result of justification. And that same connection is implicit in Romans 6.4. We've been raised with him by the glory of the Father into newness of life. Romans 7.6 also, a new kind of service. Romans 12.1 which alludes to Lamentations 3.22, where it says God's great acts of compassion are new every morning. Justification includes glorification. Justification includes glorification. Jesus, who was justified, he's called the righteous one, was also glorified. He's called the Lord of glory. All who are justified in him, and that is all of humanity, are therefore destined to be, and in God's sight, have already been glorified. We can even say that justification is glorification, inasmuch as there's no such thing as justification by God who justifies the ungodly, That does not end in a transfiguring glorification of the ungodly. Romans 4, 5, together with Romans 8, 30. Those who were crucified with Christ in his disfiguration were glorified with Christ in his transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration was just a kind of a glimpse of what happened when Jesus, after his resurrection, he was seen by the 12, seen by 11, seen by Mary of Magdala, seen by many. But Paul saw him after he had ascended and was seated and was transfigured. So when Paul saw him, it was in the blazing light that embarrassed the noonday sun in Syria. So Paul understood the one who was crucified was glorified. That's why Jesus said to Mary, stop clinging to me. I'm not finished yet. I got to go up and ascend and then God glorifies me. He's between resurrection and glorification. It's all linked. He didn't say, don't touch me, Mary. She was all already all over him. He was saying, stop clinging to me. And it was kind of a sense of humor. You see, if you keep clinging to me and then I ascend, we're going to get to a certain place where you can't keep coming with me, so i got to drop you. But you will. You will. You will be glorified. 
So that's why Paul had the extraordinary privilege of seeing Jesus in his glorification. So Paul could make the link. Wow, the one who was crucified and justified was glorified. The reason our justification and glorification are one is because they are one in Jesus Christ, who was crucified as the Lord of glory, and as the Lord of glory was crucified. Glorification and justification are one in Jesus Christ, and you're in Jesus Christ. That's why there's a reason for the effective historical or the effective culminative heiress in Romans 8.30, as many as he foreknew, those he called, as many as he called, he justified, as many as he justified, he glorified, all in the same tenses. Done. Because it was done in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of everything. And I think I'm going to have to cross-pollinate a little bit into our next, into Romans, or into doing and living theology. So, those who were crucified with Christ in his disfiguration were glorified with Christ in his transfiguration. There's no justification without being foreknown and predestined by God to be conformed into the image of his son. In other words, God intends a big family for his divine and human son who had no one to stand with him in the garden will one day have everyone standing with him in the new creation. God intends a big family. This is how the father fills up his house in Luke 14, 23. This is how he sums up everything in his household in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1.10. There's no justification without being called. And that means called into existence as a new creation. We are called into existence as a new creation in Christ Jesus. You don't believe to have that happen. It happened so that you can believe it. For if any person is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation of all things, says 2 Corinthians 5.17. And there's no justification without glorification. In other words, glorification, which is also known as the redemption of the body. The transformation and the transfiguration of the human body into a body of glory is inextricably linked to justification and vice versa. As there is no glorification without justification, so there is no justification without glorification. Predestination to conformity to the image of the Son of God That happened a long time ago when God said, let us make all of humankind in our image. And the image of the triune God is Christ. And I'm saying things, a lot of what I'm saying today may not be clear. You know what it is? It's suggestive of something that the Holy Spirit alone can reveal to you. This truth is so Fantastic that it's almost what Paul saw when he was in heaven. He said, I can't, I can't talk about it. There's no, there's no articulation for these things. They, I heard unutterable things. And that's what we're beginning to get a glimpse at. That's why my whole, in fact, ladies, you can pray for me to have articulation. I have to articulate the inarticulable. I have to suggest in a mystery form 
these truths. And you have to awaken to them, and only God can wake us up to them. That's the thing that keeps me focused all the time. I could watch. I'm more excited about baseball than even football, even to the end of the season, even when the Pirates lose 90 games or whatever. I'm still, but you know what? I can't watch that without being thinking of this too. I'm still wrestling with this mystery. How am I going to say that Sunday? How am I going to say that? After today, I'll go home and I'll say, how am I going to say this Wednesday? And there's never a moment, never a moment. So I'm full-time pastor. That's called full-time job. There's never a moment. So pray for me that I stay tuned to the spirit of grace and truth and pray for me and pray for Phil in this upcoming week that we have articulation for these truths that are so, they're, they're so beyond the ability to, com- so the, to communicate. Maybe I should ask God for the gift of tongues. But then you wouldn't understand it, and it would be useless. I'd be spending all my time talking to God, and you guys would go home and say, what did, he just, what did he just say? That's the whole point Paul was saying. Some of you guys are running. You sound like galloping horses speaking in tongues, but you don't help anybody. Nobody knows what you said. If an unbeliever comes in, he goes away and says, you're right. They are crazy. So. predestination to conformity to the image of the Son of God and being called and justified and glorified are all united in one single universal salvific action of the triune God, just like the event we call the Christ event is one event. It's all in Jesus Christ. All is all of our salvation, all of our justification, all of our glorification is in Jesus Christ. And done. All the salvific action by the triune God, whose righteousness is revealed apocalyptically by faithfulness, and by faithfulness alone, and by faithfulness alone, I mean God's faithfulness alone, expressed in Christ Jesus alone. So by grace are you saved. Grace By grace, perfect tense, you have been saved through faithfulness, not your own, and not of any kind of works. God won't have anybody boasting about this, and anyone who does boast, let him boast in the Lord. It's all in the Lord. And I think you'll see this when, by the time we're done, you'll see it a little more clearly. So look at Romans 8.30. We'll start with 8.29. The faithfulness of the Son of God is that in which he headed for and went all the way to and through the death of the cross, which was infinitely more than than just a physical death. It was the wages of sin. The single action of the triune God is put this way by Paul in Romans 8, 29 to 30. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son 
so that Jesus would have a big family. That's the sense. Being the firstborn among many. Paul holds that thought of many meaning all from Romans 5.18 and 19. All of humanity in all of its times as his siblings. So those whom God foreknew, and in 1 Peter 1.20 says he knew, he foreknew Christ, and therefore foreknew all in him. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that God would have a big family or that Jesus rather would have a big family being the firstborn among many siblings. Moreover, those whom he predestined for this conformity, he also called into existence, meaning as a new creation and those he called into existence as a new creation, he also justified. Aorist tense. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Aorist tense. Culminative aorist, emphasizing the completion of an action. It's all done. What do you think he means when he said, from his throne, which is the cross, look, I'm making everything new, and it is done. The message of a crucified, naked, battered, scourged, beaten, cursed, and crucified prophet named Jesus. The message of that is, look, I'm making everything new for eternal life. And when he said, finished, he said, and it's done. Faith lays a hold of that. That's what faith's for. Faith lays a hold of that and discerns the totality of God's love. To say my faith justified me all of a sudden sounds almost blasphemous now. But my faith that God gifted to me is the eyes in which I see these things. I laid hold of these things. They're more real to me than anything else, than anybody else. They're more real to me than myself. They are more real to me than the aging image I view in the mirror every time I have to shave just a little bit down here and here. So that's what I mean. When I speak about Operation Epsilon, which is the theme of 2019 for Phalanx, it means seeing all things and all human beings clearly, like the man with the second sight in Mark 8.25. It means literally I see everyone clearly from a distance. I see All things, everything clearly from a distance. That's what happened to Tetelestai Phalanx. It's what's happening. Jesus Christ is here touching your eyes for the second time. Here's mud in your eye. Mud made by the spit of your Savior. So, it means seeing all things and all human beings clearly. From the distance, 
of a high and holy place. As glorified in Christ. It means seeing eschatologically as God sees. He sees the end from the beginning. All he has to do is look at his son to see the end from the beginning. You know why? His son said, I am the beginning and the end. (laughs) You see the crucified, risen, glorified Savior. You see the beginning of the new creation of God. And you see the end of all things for all humans in the crucified, risen Christ. He sees the end from the beginning, which also means seeing the end as the beginning. Because Jesus is the beginning and the end in Revelation twenty two thirteen. The end is the beginning of a new creation of all things. Including all of humankind for eternal life. To him who inhabits eternity, it is done. I'm doing something today I never have done yet. Saying inarticulable things that make you wonder and stare in puzzlement. <laughs> because this is the way I think. And I'm just saying it today. He sees the beginning and the end in Christ Jesus, his son. In this message, we have a cross-pollination with our theology class on Wednesdays called Doing and Living Theology. So be ready for that and stay tuned. Because Isaiah 45, 25 says it pretty plainly too. Let's look at it. Isaiah 45, 25. 45 should be very familiar to you. 45, 23. Because that's where Philippians 2, 6 through 11 came from. Every knee will bow, etc. That's where Romans 14, 11 comes from. That's where Revelation 5, 13 comes from. That's where a lot of other universalistic passages come from. Isaiah 45, 25 says it plainly. In Yahweh, all the seed of the sons of Israel will be justified... And in God, they will be glorified. It seems that the same group that are justified in the Lord, Yahweh, Yeshua, will be glorified in God. You are hid with Christ in God. Hid with Christ and therefore justified in the Lord in God in whom you are glorified. Now, we'll look at it a little more carefully and much more carefully, maybe this coming Wednesday or some Wednesday. In Romans 8.30, the same thing. Those whom God justified, he also glorified. What's particularly notable about that within Romans is that Romans 5.18, all of humankind are justified by God through one act of righteousness enacted by the one man, Jesus Christ. Look at, again, Isaiah 45.25. In the Lord, they shall be justified. I think Paul was thinking about this when he thought about Romans 8.30. Justified, glorified. And all the offspring of the sons of Israel, pantosperma, pantosperma, all the seed shall be glorified in God. Now, here's the thing. If we take Galatians 3.16 seriously, the seed, sperma, is Christ. So remarkable connections are made and disclosed here. First, all of Israel will be saved, Romans 11.26. Second, All the seed of the sons of Israel doesn't seem to stop with Israel. In fact, the singular seed, sperma here, if we are to take Paul seriously about the singular seed being Christ in Galatians 3.16, would ultimately have to mean 
that all of humanity are justified in Yahweh and glorified in God by being in Christ. Moreover, thirdly, this is affirmed by the fact that two verses before this, Isaiah 45, 22 to 24, rendering for the Greek text looks like this. Back up to 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Now, if you take Jeremiah into account here when he says, turn to me, what did Ephraim say? He turned me and I was turned. The command is fulfilled. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself the word that goes forth from my mouth is righteousness. Dikaiosune, the whole theme of Romans 1.17. The righteousness of God is revealed from faithfulness and faithfulness alone. Every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. This knee bowing, this bending of the knee isn't a forced or coerced bowing of people that he's ready to hurl into a eternal hell. These same knees belong to the tongues that praise God. It's a praise, a universal praise. He's talking here about the tongues of men and of angels in 1 Corinthians 13. Every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God. It will be said to me, this is, we forgot about this, this is, it goes further. Every, every tongue that acknowledges also says, only in Yahweh is righteousness. That's what's going to be said to him in that day. Only in Yahweh, and you will call his name Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Only in Yahweh, only in Jesus Christ is righteousness. And you're in him. And what else? I almost want to get Pentecostal here and say, and what's the next thing say? And only in Yahweh is righteousness and what? Go ahead, say it. And glory, honor, glory, glorification is what it says here. Doxa, dikaiosune and doxa. Only in Yahweh is there righteousness and glorification. Therefore, as many as he makes righteous, he also glorifies because they're in Yahweh, in Christ. And all that separate themselves will be ashamed. You know what that means? Everybody who separates themselves from God and calls Jesus' name in a curse word, for example, they are people who separate themselves from him and don't believe in him and don't do... You know, what? You know why they're going to be ashamed? Because they're going to realize they've been in him all along. And what does it say about these who are ashamed? In the Lord, they shall be justified. Who? The ones who are, will be ashamed will be justified. The ones who separate themselves from faith and hope and love and the gospel. They will be justified. And all the offspring of the sons of Israel, pan, to, sperma, will be glorified in God. That's what Paul's thinking of when he says, you died and your life is hid. Who died? All died. When Christ died, you died. 
In other words, you have the privilege today of participating in the Eucharist because you know this about yourself. You know that you died. You know that all died, but you also know specifically that you died when Christ died. And when he rose, you rose. And when he was ascended, you ascended. And when he was seated, you were seated. And when he was glorified, you were glorified. And though you don't see this, you sure anticipate it. That's what communion's all about. Remember my death where you died until I come when you'll be glorified, which is just the manifestation of the glory that you already have in me. So we, we're no p- more privileged than the person who doesn't know this, but we do have the privilege of knowing it. So in closing... As we move to the communion, and the ushers are getting ready to do that in a moment. In the Lord, all are justified. In God, all are glorified. You can't be in the Lord and justified without being in God and glorified. And you are in Christ, justified, And you are hid with Christ in God and therefore glorified. I'll let the spirit take it from here. We all died when the one died. We are all hid with Christ, the Lord, in God. This is the day. Now listen carefully before we go to the communion. This already set up the communion service. This is the day. This is the day. Today. That Jesus spoke about when he said, in that day, you will know that I am in my father, that you are in me, and that I am in you. In other words, now is the day of salvation. Second Corinthians 6.2 Isaiah 49, 8. I have heard you in a time of salvation. And Paul said, yes. And now is the day of salvation. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. And we pray that you'll guide us by your spirit and even teach us as we now approach the communion elements, as we receive them. May we truly recall and remember affectionately our Lord Jesus Christ and his death to the point where we see him in his death. And may we also anticipate in this service together his coming in which we who have been glorified in him will see our glory manifested for we boast in the hope of the glory of God. All right, ushers, please take Follow the lead of the ushers. Everyone is welcome. Nobody has to separate themselves today. Everybody's welcome. Follow the ushers. If you can't motor to those places, then the ushers will bring you the communion elements. If you can't, for any reason, follow their lead. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Not only forever, but now, right now. Today is the day of salvation. When Jesus instituted this Eucharist service, he did so 
right in the midst of a Passover, a double Passover, when he would be offered up as the lamb, when he would offer himself through the Holy Spirit, the eternal spirit to God the Father. The internalizing of the bread and the drinking of this fruit of the vine, this unleavened bread that speaks of the sinless human body of Christ, this unfermented fruit of the vine which speaks of his precious blood. Internalizing this means that we know today that he is in us and that we are in him, that his redemption has gathered us in. We know this. We know this for everybody, even for those who don't know it. We celebrate this today. This communion service, therefore, is meaningful. Instituted on the eve of the cross, even this bread I note has the emblem of the cross inscribed in it. To this end, I was born. And so as we internalize this, as we eat this bread, and as we drink this cup, we do so together. We're partaking in a drama that celebrates the drama of salvation. Jesus said it this way, curiously, remember my death. Until I come. And that's why today I said it. As many as were justified. In his death. Will be glorified. In his coming. The glorification that we have is already. Fulfilled. Because we're in him who is glorified. See it's all about being in him. We're justified because we're in him who is justified. We're glorified because we were in. We are in him who is Glorified, seated with him in heavenly places. So his coming is when all that is made apparent and made gloriously evident. And that's what we strive to preach. That's what we strive to teach. That's what we strive to articulate. And it won't be fully articulated until the word himself appears. The explanation of all things appears when he appears. Till then, we have this wonderful drama. Till then, we have this wonderful thing that we do together. And we examine ourselves. This is the time of self-examination. This is the time when we make sure that we're not holding some grudge or hanging on to some anger or some emotion of vindictiveness or some feeling of revenge. But we are before our Lord Jesus Christ was willingly led to the slaughter, whose love for his enemies was demonstrated in his crucifixion. And when he arose, he said, peace. In the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it distributed it. And he said, eat this, this represents my body. And the same night, he thanked God, took the cup, blessed it, said, this represents 
my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's drink the cup. On that same day, they sang a hymn, and they exited. We'll do that too. And please dispose of your cups, and as soon as you're out in the hallway, feel free to celebrate, greet each other, not with a holy kiss because it's flu season, with a holy fist bump maybe, or you can kiss if you want, I don't care. Go ahead, Vicki. Vicki, go ahead.